and welcome to OperaCast, your one-stop shop for all the latest opera news, reviews, interviews and general chit-chat. I'm David Ward. This month we've an interview with the Artistic Director of Opera Up Close, Flora McIntosh, looking ahead to the company's new Flying Dutchman and focusing on one of the positive operatic stories to emerge from the recent Arts Council funding round. But first, here's a quick news roundup. Glyndebourne have announced revised plans for this autumn after the Arts Council funding reductions meant they weren't able to tour outside East Sussex this year. Their programme includes main stage performances of L'Elysée de More and Don Giovanni, along with a showcase of previous Glyndebourne supported artists and family open days. Welsh National Opera have announced their 23-24 season, which includes the Welsh premiere of Aina de Mar, which was at Scottish earlier this season, revivals of La Traviata and Il Tritico, and new productions of Cosi Fantuti and Death in Venice. And across the Atlantic, the Metropolitan Opera have launched their 23-24 season, which includes over a quarter of repertoire from living composers, though perhaps unsurprisingly, no female composers among them. Revivals of Fire Shut Up In My Bones and The Hours go alongside new productions of X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X, El Nino and Dead Man Walking, as well as Daniel Catan's Florencia en el Amazonas. In a story we've covered previously on OperaCast, BP and the Royal Opera House have finally parted ways following the energy giant's 33-year sponsorship. The Royal Opera has been under increasing pressure to end the partnership after fellow cultural giants, including the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Theatre, parted ways with BP in recent years. There's not one, but two major motion pictures on their way which are centred around the opera world. The Prima Donna will star Tony Collette as a vengeful old opera singer, while Seven Veils features Amanda Seyfried as a director, restaging a production of Salome. On to my interview earlier this week with Flora McIntosh from Opera Up Close. So good morning, Flora. Thanks so much for joining us for OperaCast. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. So you're Artistic Director of Opera Up Close. For listeners that might not be familiar with the company, just kind of in a nutshell, tell us, what is it that Opera Up Close do? Uh, Opera Up Close, well, we are um, doing opera sort of with and for everybody at a scale that everybody can access. Um, Opera Up Close was founded actually 12 years ago by Robin Norton Hale creating um, the kind of beginnings of what really became Fringe Opera um, but has grown and developed as an organisation over the last decade Um, and now what we um, really do is take um, existing works that might be known to opera audiences um, and work with composers and writers to reimagine those works and kind of distill the essence of them into something that is also a kind of new contemporary piece of work that can kind of bring new voice to opera therefore bring new audiences to opera but also introduce um new composers new writing new ways of receiving opera to audiences that go to the opera quite regularly so it's sort of um a cross uh beneficiary with the audiences and just really um telling stories rooted in theatre through music. I mean, this is what opera is and that's what we do. You mentioned something interesting there. You said kind of bringing opera to people at a a kind of a scale that people can access. I mean, kind of practically, 
what 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 does that mean what what kind of shows are we talking about yeah so i mean it, it well it can it can mean a number of things and we it's it's totally an artistic choice to do things that are at an intimate and at a chamber scale for opera up close i think there's um there's sometimes an assumption that particularly in, in opera that if you do things at a smaller scale that's because you don't have the option to do it at a bigger one and actually mm. for us it absolutely i mean if if we had the resources to have you know, a big orchestra and a big chorus, I still wouldn't do it that way because that's not the point of, of what we're doing. Um, it's about um, allowing, a sort of bringing a, a, um, an intensity and an intimacy to the material and a sort of new lens um, to to view and to listen to the material through. So scale means that we might do um, chamber reimaginings at a scale of, you know, three players and four singers for example or for example our Flying Dutchman that's coming this year um, is a reworking of of Wagner's score um, by Laura Bowler this is eight players chamber of um, an uh, eight player ensemble and four singers but we're also involving um, some elements of pre-recorded sound in there some um, different types of um, voices both community voices and the voices of the instrumentalists and just actually playing with scale and playing with I guess a kind of immersive experience for the audience of taking away some of the boundaries that inevitably you have when you have a full orchestra which is between the pit and the stage and the audience it's difficult if you're doing it at that scale to really kind of feel that you're in the middle of the thing so you get a different sort of experience when you um, work with material at this level also of course allows us to go to places that um, where there's no pit so we can go to mm. all sorts of theatres and non non-theatre found spaces as well which um we do as well um we can go to those spaces um and those places and bring opera in a really direct way to audiences as part of a kind of uh wide theatrical offering for many of those theatres as part of a of the kind of landscape of theatre um and we're able to do that, which other companies working on a larger scale by their very nature aren't able to do. So it gives a flexibility also to um, to where we can go and hopefully then does. Well, it certainly does by uh, the evidence of, of our audiences and, and the success of shows previously. Um, it allows people to access things more locally and, and more readily um, in their own um, local areas. Yeah, and I suppose as you said there, it's about looking at uh, the the limitations of not having theatres with big pits and whatnot in sort of more of an opportunity rather than a, a challenge, as you say, to kind of look artistically what does it mean to do things at a, at a smaller scale. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, I really think that is crucial to the conversation um, always, which is that, you know, in the end, um, there are multiple reasons that we do things and we want to make sure that we're, we're thinking about how to make work uh, that is is as accessible as possible for people all over the country. Um, but in the end, it has to come from the art. So if you're making work that's about being accessible but doesn't come from the art, then in the end, you're massively patronising your audiences, whoever they may be. Mm. So it has to come from a purpose of going, we are artistically using this as an opportunity to create something original to create a new version of things to create something that is both complementary that's part of an ecosystem and um i think in in opera and classical music that can be slightly challenging um in terms of the narrative around it whereas i think in 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 
non-musical theatre. Uh, that conversation moved on quite a long time ago. Um, and scale and quality are not things that are considered to be remotely mutually exclusive. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's really important when we're talking about access and we're talking about engagement, that it comes from from the art and that there's a really strong artistic reason why you're doing things and you're making strong artistic choices because that's how you make the best work. Well, that's great too. It's a, it's a real hobby horse of mine, the sort of looking down on, you know, kind of uh, reduced or smaller scale work. So I think I think it's great to hear how you, you talk about Opera Close's way of, of, of looking at that. On, on a personal perspective, you were involved with Opera Close as a performer and in, in other capacities for, for a number of years, but kind of becoming artistic director is, is a more recent development. I mean, as your perception of how an opera company functions or kind of the things it needs to do to to, to function and survive kind of changed demonstrably since kind of stepping into this this new role <laughs> um well uh, inevitably uh, this is you know um the uh never-ending learning curve which it n- certainly will doesn't end and never ends and yeah i think it's of course um over the years of, of working as a performer um even if you're looking quite carefully at how organisations run or you're interested in those things, you don't really know and you don't really think about it because in the end you turn up and you do your job and it, it's quite solipsistic, even working within a company, you know, you, you, you're, you're delivering the thing that you're there to do and that's it. Um, I think thinking widely um, about programming, offering, also how you work with artists about scale of these things. I mean, there's so many things in running an opera company that, of course, I have, I'm, I've been learning and, and knowing and some very, you know, practical things that might, some people might think, oh, they're the kind of boring practical things, but they're the things that make the world go round as well, just about, you know, how you fund, how you um, represent yourself, how you look after your staff, how you look after your artists. I think coming at it from from the place of being an artist is different. I There are fewer of us who are performers who are doing this um, role. There's some in dance. There are a few more in mm. theatre. There aren't many in opera. And I think that, you know, I I do hope that I bring a a different and useful perspective to it. Um, not least because actually I have worked as a singer at multiple scales. So I've worked with, you know, I've worked in the Coliseum and I've worked in com- companies where we're taking three things out of a suitcase and performing in the smallest possible space. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've done all of those scales and I see the merit and the benefit of all of them and the need for all of them. So I think when I'm thinking about um, running the organisation and where we sit within this ecosystem, you know, with with a leadership head on, I guess. Um, I try to bring a sort of breadth of understanding to it. Um, that's a sort of personal thing. I've, I'm really enjoying the um, how with Opera Up Close and and the way that we're now working in the direction that we're now taking the company in working with multiple artists that is a thing that really excites me both as a sort of I guess producer but as as an artist um so multidisciplinary artists people writers dancers um uh community um engagement people working with how, how we develop different writing voices how we can actually really think laterally across the arts um, and I've realized actually that that's a thing probably as a performer that w- was something that 
has always really excited me. I mean, I was extremely um, lucky to go to the theatre a lot um, as um, as a kid. So I didn't particularly, was an opera, but I, I got taken to the theatre a lot. And then I worked on youth theatre projects in my year off before I went to music college and sort of rooted all of my interests in the arts sort of it comes from theatre and I mean that in the broadest sense so in a way doing this now with Opera Up Close sort of makes perfect sense for me because it's bringing all of those things into play and really just saying you know here we are as theatre makers and storytellers um, and we should be thinking laterally and working together and um, being creative about the industry and that's what I feel very privileged and excited about in in now having this this role as as an artistic director Um, and I do see it as a privilege because it's a privilege to be able to create it's a privilege to be able to work with these wonderful artists it's a privilege to be able to connect with um, people all over um, the country but communities who are so um, interested in in art and expressing themselves and finding ways you know I mean uh, it's there um, and I'm fortunate as well I mean to have um, we're a very small core team but uh, um, my colleagues who are absolutely you know committed to the direction and the, the running of the company um, with kind of heart and soul so it's a very um, fertile period right now. I mean, on that theme, you you touched on of the the, the place of opera close and the opera ecosystem. I mean, f- relatively recently, you you literally moved place. The company is now based, based in Southampton after being in, in London for a number of years. I mean, why did that move come about, and and has it meant anything more than a change of postcode for the company? Yes, yeah, meant lots. So, I mean, this was not something that was led. At, this was a um, the founder and previous artistic director Robert Norton Hale, who had. Um, uh, I was involved in a sort of advisory capacity with the organisation, but it was her um, it was her insight, I guess, that what what happened was that when the Nuffield Theatre in Southampton went under at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, um, a new arts organisation was created and formed, which is Mast Mayflower Studios, and and the idea behind it has taken a while for it to kind of really work out what it is, but was that it was a going to be a sort of cultural hub that had multiple partners living within it. Um, and um, through various means, I think Robin identified that that could actually be a really productive move for um, Opera Up Close to be involved in, in a theatre, but with multiple arts companies. I think she didn't know at the time necessarily what that really meant, nor did anybody else. What's become clear in the last year as we've sort of worked out what that move is. I mean, I will say, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about moving out of London. Yeah. Opera Up Close actually moved out of London before the talk of moving out of London was happening. So it's fortuitous, um, but it did happen ahead of the time that everyone started to think, oh, we need you know, p- potentially to be um, thinking beyond the capital. Um, I think as a touring company um, and as a company that, that wants to increasingly engage to multiple communities in the core of our work. It makes sense to be out of the capital when there is so there's such a strong cultural offering in the capital. So I think for this company, it made sense for us not to be based here because it, it was in danger of sort of 
locating the company also in its in its sort of orig- origins, which was as a sort of pub theatre fringe, we needed to break out from that a little bit. So actually moving out of London, it's done that. Um, crucially, um, what I think I am now really building on and is really exciting is that by moving down to Southampton, we are able to... Um, create sort of models of work really kind of embed ourselves in the local community really be representative of that local community and represent the southwest in in a great way we are are now the only opera company that is based in the southwest there is no um other permanent opera company resident down there um and have a model that's created down in southampton working with the local community working with these wonderful arts organizations that we have complete access to by being part of mast working as part of that theater landscape creating a model that we can then replicate and take nationwide to other areas and also be linking up communities so you know with dutchman and also with our project for next year there's a lot of um focus about coastal communities around initially um uh working in southampton but also um linking where where those points of symbiosis are with the other coastal communities and places that we're visiting and community groups that we're working with so it's kind of creating a network across the country as well and I think it's harder to do that sometimes when you're uh, the brilliant thing about London is it's extraordinary cultural life but actually coming out of London and and um being somewhere that also has an extraordinary cultural life but is just by its nature slightly more I guess focused and and um smaller you know and more actually more intensified like Southampton I mean it's got loads going on in Southampton it's a really really exciting place to be um I think that's um productive and I also think it's important I think it's really important that that um lots of things and opera being one of them appear to be being created uh, away from the capital that's not to t- I will just say now David it's really you know it's not you, you know we don't create um new cultural hubs by dismantling the ones that exist so I don't think I I, I'm, I, I think there's you know it's dubious and I don't actually think anybody thinks this that things should be removed from London but it's just about how how uh, where the focus is and where we're, we're really acknowledging what I want to be doing is saying opera up close we're making this work we're working down in Southampton we're then taking it nationally and Southampton is a really exciting um, cultural hotbed you know didn't get City of Culture last year um, in its bid but the work that was done towards the bid for City of Culture was so productive and it's absolutely being taken on um, and it's totally thrilling to be part of that and I mean I, I will just name check some of the companies that I'm that working with down there um Zoe Logic Dance Company Artful Scribes Writer Development Agency City Eye Filmmakers the John Hansard Gallery um I mean to name but a few um also working with the Southampton Music Hub um for our work with very young for very young children I mean it's really really brilliant and exciting and allows us as an opera company to not feel that we need to just sit in the land of opera. It's really important um, that opera is allowed to exist as part of not just an an, an opera ecosystem, but a, 
an arts ecosystem as part of a as a, a, that we go we're not all sitting in different parts of the forest here you know we're we're working together as arts organizations um so i think it's to be honest almost been the transformative and most exciting thing that's happened to opera up close um and i am very thrilled to be taking it on at this transformative stage where we can really use our base at mast now to kind of um open up the creative process i think process is a really important thing to be sharing um you know it's not just about the final production it's about how you create new work open it up to local communities and to other arts organizations being at mast and being in southampton really gives us opportunity to do that and I think it would have been more difficult for us to do that had we remained based in London. Um, so I, I strongly encourage everybody if you're ever in the southwest to come down and see what's going on in Southampton because there's loads and it's it's really exciting. T talking about that uh, wider arts ecosystem, uh, ecosystem I mean congratulations on the, um, the MPO funding. Um, Opera Up Close was obviously able to deliver a lot of work before getting MPO. So, so what, what does this funding actually mean for the company now and, and what you can do going forward? Does it, does it mean any sort of changes to, to you know, how you work? Well, the first thing is, which, which obviously is really important to us, is um, it's a huge endorsement and that does matter. Um, and it allows us to kind of, um, you know, I mean, being on the portfolio and the portfolio um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an endorsement of um, opera uh, at a different scale and opera, you know, viewed in a different way. And I think that's really important. Um, obviously, it's stabilising um, because it's a, a certain amount of funding that that means that, you know, you know, that's there. But also it's it's worth saying anybody who works in the arts knows that if you're you have funding from the Arts Council, permanent funding from the Arts Council, which is brilliant and we are so grateful for it. It is only a portion of what is needed to, to run the organisation and to deliver the programme. So it, it's the sort of basis on which we can now um, fundraise and um, uh, support our programme going forward. I think it's it's an interesting one because in a climate where things feel very, very stretched, having um this endorsement and this money from the arts council in a moment kind of feels like oh well you know you're all right then and ev where everyone's feeling quite frightened and struggling and it's 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 quite febrile isn't it at the moment um i mean that isn't the case that's not a, a sort of pit pity me um bleats just that isn't the case we have a very um big ambitious program that we are absolutely committed to delivering and the support of the Arts Council and uh, some other key trusts and foundations and also um, some very, very generous individual givers is, of course, essential for us to be able to, to carry on. Um, and in fact, the Arts Council money underpins it all and also makes the need for for that other funding all the greater so we can be really certain to be able to deliver on the things that that um we plan to do so it, it's a kind of curious um it's it, it's a curious network of things because on one level 
it's all the you know you just go yay and we're so delighted by it and we're so grateful for it and we really believe in the program and actually a lot you know that the let's create program that the arts council have the let's create strategy that the arts council um have based their um decisions on for this round you know it's it's all really excellent but i mean look you know the need to um the need to raise money and and for funding is is never ending i i sort of think it's like you know when people say they move out of a small house and into a bigger one and they can't understand how it is that they still don't have space for everything when they move into the bigger house it's sort of like that you know which is of course you know as you expand and as your ambitions expand of course your your need expands as well but i mean fundamentally what the arts council funding has done for us is um it gives us a, a bedrock and is just a huge endorsement of our future program uh, and the direction that the company's now going in which is um you know a significant evolution from where it's been previously so um yeah, I mean, it's all by way of saying uh, we are enormously grateful to it. And I know that it's, it, it is a slightly complicated conversation for lots of arts organisations. But we just, um, I think we have to all try and hold hands and not fight our own corner and think, you know, support each other in every way that we can and, and be collegiate. And um, we'll find a way through in, in a tricky financial climate. Yeah, well. I, mean, I mean, as you as you touched on, there's obviously been a lot of talk about about uh, the MPO funding decisions and uh, and opera. I mean, has it been frustrating at all that you know you know that kind of your success and your Pegasus opera joining this the scheme has kind of largely been overlooked because of other decisions elsewhere? Has that been slightly frustrating? Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> yes. The thing is, I don't know that it. I feel that we have been, or, or Pegasus, and I'm glad you mentioned Pegasus, and is another um, uh, different scale opera company that's that's been funded. I don't know that we've been overlooked. I think sometimes, I think some of the noise around this has been unhelpful. Um, I think, you know, we, we all have to be um, very careful about behaving in a way that can seem... Um, sort of exceptionalist and I think that it, it, it's a struggle because with opera um at its grandest actually I don't want to use that word grand but you know at it's, its fullest scale um it is an extremely expensive art form it just is it just is and um it must be and needs funding in order for that scale to exist as well which it it, it must I think where we get a lot there's been a lot of shouting and a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of sort of pain and trouble and i think um what we need to try and do is get back to talking about the art because if we stop talking about the art we're in danger of as i said it just seeming like um well i'm afraid playing into some hands that feel that there's a kind of level of entitlement and exceptionalism around the art form that's really unhelpful. I uh, think there is a, an opportunity here for everybody to to talk about the art, and for us, I, I I'm really it's great to be talking to you today. But you know where there's been an opportunity for for me to say about opera up close and um, 
and I know I'm sure Pegasus feel like this as well and, and others that actually it's not about saying ever talking about why and funding is funding shouldn't you know it's not about taking robbing Peter to pay Paul I mean apart from anything else you know the frustration actually is that pulling us out in in comparison to you know let's say ENO is, is actually absurd I mean the level in which Opera Up Close are funded and the level I mean it, it it it's not comparable and we're not the fact that we're both opera companies is really neither here nor there I mean it's just we both happen to be you know, working within that particular bit of the art form but it it's it's absurd so in a sense for the Arts Council to be saying you know um look, we are funding opera because we're funding it here. Um, that's brilliant. And the fact that they're funding it here is brilliant because it's endorsing what opera can be in other spaces, in other areas, in, in other parts of... Um, well, yeah, in, in other ways. But it's not... Um, it's sort of got nothing to do with the bigger scale. It, 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 it's a misdirection. And it's also... So that it frustrates me because... It's it's not helpful ENO, it's not helpful for them, it's not helpful for the other opera companies, it's just it's just not a helpful comparison. So I feel very collegiately like I haven't wanted and I will not make a comment about um specifically the funding situation in, in a wider way. It's a very complicated one. Um and you know, there's one pot of money and there's not enough to go round and it's it's difficult. Um so um, but it's it's frustrating to me when when you know opera up close and ENO are sort of put on in the same sentence like we're remotely comparable. We're doing completely different things, and um, we should you know and uh, and the scale of funding is I mean honestly completely <laughs> comparable in every way. Um, and in the same, I will just take this moment as well to say it's the same thing about being out of London and, and going to different spaces things again I will get back to saying we have to take this from about being about the arts you know I I, I laughed um with somebody I was talking to um from the arts council the other day we were laughing about this thing about sort of seeing things in in car parks and and I said well of course I mean that was just a slightly kind of throwaway comment because actually Nobody wants to see anything in a car park unless the car park enhances the thing that they're seeing. You don't go, oh, I know, I'd love to see something in a car park. That in itself isn't remotely interesting. But in fact, the only thing that I've seen in a car park as an opera was actually E&O. So, I mean, you know, irony of ironies. Um, but um, I think we we shouldn't be being misdirected about... Um, scale and about place we need to be going we are all making art here so I really would like to talk about that and I would really like opportunity for this sort of shouting around the climate of funding in opera to quieten down so everybody can talk about why we want to be making this thing in the first place and why there is a demand for it which there is and why people really get stuff out of, of of experiencing these stories and and um through sound and through music and this particular sort of theater and storytelling that's what we need to be talking about because that stops us being in an echo chamber and i think the echo chamber is never a productive place to be yeah yeah i mean you've mentioned a couple of times about this this idea of kind of uh being being 
collegiate and, and, and working together and supporting each other and whatnot. I mean, do, do you think, irrespective of the kerfuffles over funding, do you think the opera sector is a collegiate one, one that, that is, uh, you know, friendly and supportive in, in, in that way? I, I want to kind of answer carefully here because the 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 first thing on that is it's full of it's full of people that are it's full of people that are and loads of the people working within the industry and i most of the people that i work with on all the scales are absolutely that um as an industry um there are some things that perhaps aren't quite and i do think that that's to do with um a kind of slight protectionism a pe- certain people within the industry feeling very um absolute about how certain things should be done so and therefore um feeling that you know repertoire or ways that repertoire is is um performed and performance practice has to be done in a certain way otherwise it's incorrect there's a lot of i think what 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 we're sort of struggling to shake off a little bit in opera is is the word should which exists before almost every sort of sentence (laughs) when you're talking about the rep the repertoire so it can become quite uncollegiate if because it becomes that there can be sort of finger pointing and going well you're not really doing it properly or it's not or that's not really opera or you're somehow undermining the art form by by you know, turning the thing on its head. And I really think that that's not helpful um, and not very creative in thought. As I said, it's not, it's sort of an attitude about um, being, I, I do think it's about being reverential a lot of the time to, to, to the music. Um, and if actually um, things at, at different scales are really nourished and supported, it allows those scales to produce things of, really excellent musical quality you know and not to be um undermined by lack of resource and to be but yeah but yeah doing things in a way that some people might not like or some people it might not be to your taste or that's fine but actually um what i would say to everybody in in the industry is the the repertoire that exists you know the really the stuff that we all are reverential about and kind of think god this extraordinary work you know it can take it, you know, Verdi can take it, Wagner can take it, you can, you can um, unpick it, turn it upside down, shake it all about, and it can still land and be Wagner and be something else as well, and it does not undermine that work, it doesn't undermine it, it in fact um, explores it. It, 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 it can enhance it, and I think that that's where the kind of supportive and collegiate element within opera can can really fall down um there's a still a sort of uh, i say this carefully but a, a, um it's a, a snobbery around it and that's not the same as the snobbery around the sort of musical understanding um and i and i think that's a shame and it's a thing that again in the theater in non-musical theater has been shaken off I mean it's a thing that I've been saying for a very long time and is now kind of almost being put out as a trope by a few of us um that Shakespeare being a direct comparison on this everyone accepts the fact that you don't have to do Shakespeare in the exact form that it was written in the period that it was written in uh with I mean even in even you can 
cut it around and put things in different places and turn it around and do it with one person in the toilet and someone will go that was interesting I saw Hamlet with one person in the toilet and I'm not sure I liked it but it was Hamlet you know it can take it because it's brilliant so I kind of would say to to opera there needs to be more I, I think we could do with more trust um we could do with with um a more open mind to believing that the art form can and the music and the existing repertoire can take some radical reinvention it does not undermine the integrity of the original uh so yeah i i, I think and i think this is this is a problem within of a, a, a holding within the art form and then that makes people audiences also feel a little bit excluded because they get i mean I, this is an interesting thing i don't know if you found this david that i uh, as a singer um, I've noticed over many years, but and also now working in opera, people say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a singer or I, I'm an opera singer or I run an opera company. And so often the immediate response I get from all sorts of people is they go, oh, right, wow, I don't know anything about opera. That's the first thing that they feel they need to tell me. So there's something that's going on here. Now, if, if someone said to me, I'm a neuroscientist, I wouldn't immediately go, I don't know anything about neuroscience in a sort of, I need to, because of course I don't. So there's still this sense in opera that you somehow need to know about it or understand a a thing in order to receive it, in order to enjoy it, which of course is absolutely not the case, the opposite. But I think some of the narratives around music, the music must be performed in this way. It has to be, um, uh, smaller scale isn't really the, the thing or you know you're not doing it properly or any of those sort of either whispers or loud sometimes bits of um conversation do contribute to some people feeling oh well I can't engage with opera unless I understand it first and that's a shame because it's not true um we should be able to experience it completely viscerally and yeah, immediately. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a challenge, as you say, there's not only the people that sort of think that's the way it should be done, but I think there are people that have a, a particular interest in making sure it is kept uh, in, in that way, which is uh, maybe discussion for, for another day, but, but very interesting. I want to finish just by kind of touching on the, the new production of Dutchman uh, that you mentioned, which all sounds, sounds very exciting. I mean, first question, I mean, why the Flying Dutchman? Uh, well, the, it was. It, um, I'm not going to take any um, credit for the absolute original idea of of the Flying Dutchman. That was um, actually came from Lucy Bradley, who is directing it. Uh, it was an, uh, the whole thing is after a sort of an original concept by her, which was to look at Dutchman through um, a lens of um, the modern situation of people seeking refuge it wasn't particularly more impact than that originally but she brought that idea to Robin and they started talking about it um I think it has as a story it has uh a real kind of universal and timeless quality and I think actually what's really exciting about the music is that it's um it's both sort of epic and intense um, and actually, as we've gone through and, and developed the school, um, it's been really exciting and interesting to look at how you absolutely keep the epic 
um, at a chamber scale, that something can be epic and intimate at the same time. Um, so that this particular music, this particular piece really gave an opportunity to explore that and develop that. And I think, you know what, we have to be bold. You go, right, people go, oh, blimey, you're doing Wagner. You go, well, yeah, we are doing Wagner. We're doing Wagner because actually this story needs to be told through the music, through through the text and, and through a kind of real reinvention. So, um, but I mean, actually, that was a very long-winded way of saying, fundamentally, it's because it's a really good story and it's a really good piece. So that's why, really, I think everybody wanted to do it because, you know, let's let's find a way of 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 making this um, alive for now and in in, a, in again through a different lens. So it's just, you know, the the as I said, the material can take it. Um, but then actually part of my sort of earlier involvement with Opera Up Close a couple of years ago, you know, in addition to being um, a performer, was um, bringing in um, Laura Bowler uh, and um, Glyn Maxwell had already had some conversations with Lucy and Robin, I believe. So Glyn Maxwell's wonderful um, poet, librettist, novelist, extremely um, lauded, uh, and he has written a really engaging, very accessible and, and very hard-hitting libretto that, in theory, you might think is sort of a slightly dystopian future, future, but actually it's not really. It's absolutely exploring things of now. Um, it, it's very beautifully conceived. What's happened in the, in the last year or so with Opera Up Close is how we actually work with composers sort of in dialogue with the existing material. So what became clear is the combination of Laura's compositional voice and Wagner's the dialogue between them was what was really exciting that we could create something that was quite new and contemporary while still being Wagner so in came and she developed that through some workshops with Manchester Camerata who have um, partnered with us in in um, the R&D in developing this piece and will be performing on tour um, so it's been a really it's it, it's been over a long period of time because um, that thing COVID happened um, and uh, so everything got a little bit elongated but um, it's it's really thrilling because what we have and what we will continue to do as, as an organisation is produce both a new tangible asset as, as in there is a new score, there is a new version of the Flying Dutchman both with the language and with the, um, the orchestration um, and that exists as a as a piece now for the future there is some legacy there just as the piece before it's even produced and then we also have the really exciting um element of, of taking it on tour in the summer so it's all the things um but yeah i mean anyone listening the flying dutchman people feel frightened by wagner they feel frightened by wagner it's it's really i mean particularly now with Glynn's words and it's really great storytelling. Um, it's a really good story. It's really exciting and um, transporting music. You can just lose yourself in it. Well, it, it does sound a fascinating project. I, I believe Southampton tickets are on sale. Are you able to let us know uh, where else it might be going to? Yes, absolutely. So we've gone on South Southampton, which is Turner Sims Hall, but we're also going to be um, uh, visiting... Uh, wonderful venue in West London called Grand Junction. Um, the, um, the Invisible Wind Factory, which is um, 
usually a nightclub in Liverpool. Um, the um, uh, We're going to Worthing. We are also going to um, a venue that just sits next door to the SS Great Britain in Bristol. Um, we are going to the Trinity Covered Market in Hull. Um, and um, my producer will tell me off because I'm if I forget anywhere, which I don't think I have. Um, yeah, the word, um, uh, so we're going to both some, it, it's a real kind of eclectic mix of theatre and non-theatre spaces, but so the piece is, is not site-specific, but it's going to be a bit site-responsive. And there's also, I would say we're doing a, uh, there's a companion piece that's running alongside it, which is um, a short sort of rush hour programme of, um, music and poetry called We Two Were Lovers, The Sea and I, and it's sort of exploring the themes in Glynn's libretto and it's got bits of Dutchman in it um, and also has a, is based around a new um, version of Haydn's um, Ariana Naxos, which has been um, written in a new English version by Toria Banks. There is no English version of this piece in existence that I can find. Someone, one of your listeners will correct me I'm sure but I actually can't find one anywhere you know really kind of reimagined it and rewritten it and this is a cantata that's normally done for piano and voice and we're, we're this is going to be harp and voice it's a, it's a sort of two-hander staged recital program that's going to go to a few venues that wouldn't be able to take the whole show of Dutchman but it's kind of exploring the themes within it and there'll be some panel discussions as well around it but um, everything will go on sale at the end of next week, it will be um, on our website and available at um, uh, operaupclose.com. And um, we'll, obviously, you can find out more about what we do on the website as well. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting tour. We have a fantastic cast. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm genuinely excited to see what comes out of the rehearsal room. And of course, the wonderful Manchester Camerata, who are... Um, brilliant and innovative and adventurous in all the ways so um it it feels very exciting to be putting this all together terrific well we look forward to seeing a performance this summer i'll hopefully go and catch it over in hull i i am from hull so i should know what you're talking about but i can't instantly think what uh what that is but you wouldn't necessarily know it if you didn't know it if you know what i mean but um but yeah look it up it's it's a really interesting um sort of market space um and uh yeah also we've got um we've worked with um community choirs around the country as well in, in all of the venues that we're going to we've worked with some community groups and pulled together they've recorded a section of the of the what is normally the ghost chorus in Act Three of Dutchman. Um, we recorded that with multiple groups and that's now been blended together to kind of create one coastal community sound that's then going to be mixed into the sound design of the show. So we've got kind of local voices represented in all the areas, which is really exciting and, and lovely. And Hull, the Freedom Choir in Hull, I don't know if you know about them, but they're an absolutely extraordinary group of um, singers with massive um, engagement. So yeah, hooray for going to Hull. Terrific. Well, all the best with the with the tour on the next uh, few years of, of plans and, and thank you so much for your time this morning. No, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us this month. 
If you want to get in touch, you can find us on social media. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next month where you'll be joined by our very first guest presenter. Until then, goodbye.